0: I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Megan, how you doing?
1: Tyler, doing pretty good. It's episode good- four. Excited to get into episode four.
0: The Alliance.
1: Yes, we have up today The Alliance. But first of all, let me just jump into some other issues I have to address from last yeah. time.
0: Please, please.
1: So you know how, I I feel like I've heard podcasts where they do a thing that's like corrections and omissions or something like that. So I have a correction and an omission from last time. Let me start with the omission. And that was the moment in the healthcare episode when Dwight asks Jim, why did you write down Count Choculitis, Jim? (laughs) Because you know I love Count Chocula. (laughs) And I just thought that was such a good moment in the writing and I felt that it was wrong to skip it over. (laughs) It, It just was such a moment where Dwight seems to be feeling a kind of paranoia. You know when you're sort of paranoid about something and then you like over disclose about yourself when you didn't really have to and it feels like just this coincidence that Count Chocula is a hilarious thing and then we just end up discovering that Dwight loves Count Chocula. Um, so any follow-up thoughts on that? <laughs>
0: uh Well I will say one thing that concerns me because I was like watching re- you know prepping for this episode by watching <clears throat> um you know or I was watching the episode and I was trying to remember anything about the last three episodes and I was like I cannot remember any of the plot or the details. And so I suddenly became anxious about like, wait, am I going to repeat myself every week or am I going to forget like crucial continuity? So, uh, cause I have the memory of a goldfish, I think when it comes to plot. Um, but, uh, in terms of that particular moment, um, you know, I have always thought that I liked, Count Chocula and Frankenberry and like those monster cereals. Because as you know, I'm a horror movie fan and I like spooky things. And yet I don't know that I've ever actually eaten Count Chocula or Frankenberry or whatever the, there must be other iterations, right? Yeah. Mummy mummy something. I don't know. Anyway.
1: Another another omission problem. And I will say, I don't think I've actually had Count Chocula, which is sort of surprising because I love chocolate cereals of all kinds. Yeah. Really? Cocoa puffs, all the cocos just haven't happened to have count Chocula. But anyway.
0: When I was in college, I was very, I don't know. To me, this was like, oh, I'm I'm being such a college student or whatever, was that I went to the cafeteria and had cocoa crispies with chocolate milk. And um it was disgusting. I mean, it was good, but it was also like so much sugar and so much chocolate. I really, I really. It, it was, it was intense is all I'm saying. Um,
1: it sounds fantastic. I think and, you uh, should try it. Run out and pick up some cocoa Krispies and chocolate milk.
0: But see, I don't know how I feel about chocolate in the morning. Like to me, chocolate is a nighttime snack. Whereas really? in the morning, it feels like, uh, I don't know, to, to like, I wouldn't want, I don't want chocolate chips in my pancakes. I don't want chocolate in my bagel. I wouldn't want a chocolate muffin. I wouldn't want. Yeah. Uh, tell me your, your face is bewildered right now.
1: I can't believe that we have lived together and I did not know about these time-based food boundaries for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's something, it's something I'm, I'm learning about you, that is surprising. Yeah. See, I have no time frame when I can or can't eat, chocolate or drink a coke or eat pizza or something like that
0: you would do all of those in the morning
1: all of those in the morning
0: i respect that
1: yeah my my lines are more strong on the combinations of things like i couldn't have a coke with the cocoa Krispies.
0: ah
1: and i can't have coffee with pizza like i can't combine coffee and salt and i see there's a whole long um long trail that i could go down to that is completely irrelevant so we can we can pass, pass that by. but my- I really
0: hope, I hope we get a chance to explore that over the course of this podcast.
1: <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are uh, <laughs> hanging on and wanting more. <laughs> the other thing though also relates yes. to my knowledge about you. And when we started this podcast, we talked about the fact that I was an all-in office fan and you had never been that into it. And this was going to be a podcast for resolving our friendship differences. Yes. So when you said last week, the thing about Buffy, I misunderstood your relation to Buffy. You had the whole box set. So when you talked about pretending, like sort of pretending something about your relationship to Buffy, I thought you were hiding the fact that you liked it and you were hiding the fact that you didn't like it.
0: Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> so you performed that really well.
0: Thank thank you. Yeah, I
1: understood last week.
0: I just, uh, yeah, it's a thing that I feel that I should like. I'm sure that, you know, I was, watch, uh, we watched this past week Underworld. Did you ever see Underworld?
1: Um,
0: well, it was, it's from the early 2000s and it's like a vampire movie trying to be matrix or whatever it's like more of an action movie than it is anything else and we watched it because somebody at a party was like oh my god do you remember that movie underworld it's so great and I was like is it like I remember seeing it but does it hold up and uh hard no it does not hold up but as I was watching it I was like oh this is why I didn't like Buffy because it opens up with this like you know um vampire mythology it's basically like Lord of the Rings kind of you know, stuff. And I just have never been able to get into the kind of fantastical mythology of things. And so I kind of liked the high school romance of Buffy, but I didn't love the like, okay, there's a Slayer for this many generations and blah, 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 blah. So, um, but you are raising something that I've been thinking about, which is like, am I a fraud? Do I actually like The Office? Um,
1: This is where I was going to take this and wonder if, your relationship to the office is changing.
0: Mm. Am I a goddamn liar? That's what you're saying. That's what you're asking me here. You're putting me on blast.
1: Not in precisely those words, but I was angling in that direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, I will say I have a confession to make, which I may I think I texted you, which is that like, um, you know the forces of binging are strong and so i have been i i've essentially like rewatched all of the office <laughs> since we started the podcast and and i was like oh wow like i watched more of this than i remember like i think i watched it pretty far into the original run mm-hmm. and as i was binging it i was like this is great What? Well, why did i hate this but there is a turning point where I was like, "Oh, I know why I hate this," and like by the end of it, I was really like angry all over again. And um, so I'm, so I'm, I'm like, I'm still committed to my frustration with the show. Um, but it, it did make me appreciate the early season a lot more.
1: So is this going to be a big reveal that we'll wait for until we get like 150 episodes in?
0: Yeah. Oh, totally.
1: And does it ruin, so does your frustration at the end ruin the show as a whole? Because a lot of things change much later on. And so I would encourage you to not let your feelings about a very late episode taint your reading of the earlier episodes.
0: This is a question I was having for myself this week. And I can't remember what particular moment was making me think of it. But I was like, it's really a different thing to watch an episode of television having seen like most of it or a lot of it and thinking how a single moment resonates with the entire thing versus watching it as it's unfolding. And you're imagining all different possible trajectories, um, but you don't know which one is going to be taken up. You know, like, I don't know, there, there was some moment with Michael where I was like, oh, that's ironic given what will happen with him later but you wouldn't know that in the moment. And in fact, it might not even really be intentional. It could just be a resonance. Um, anyway, this is very esoteric, but I, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think that my my pleasure in it is ruined. I just think um, I had forgotten precisely what my annoyance was and uh, and I cannot okay. wait to get there.
1: Wow, okay, well, this is tantalizing. So I, I think I think about that a lot too, and especially um, before you had gone ahead and binge the entire thing. And so, in each of our discussions, like, okay, Tyler doesn't know what's happening at this point, so I've got to remember that in the way that I talk about this. But then I have the memory problem where I'm like, did this happen in episodes yeah. one, to three, or does this happen in season four? So it's getting more flexible i guess in terms of our our timeline
0: i am concerned that i ruined the podcast by watching the rest of the show but i have to say i mean i just don't have a lot of self-control you know especially when it comes to television and i was like well there are only 20 minutes and what's yeah. the harm with one more like just one more and you know i couldn't
1: have done it i can't ask the <laughs>
0: um okay i'm trying to think do we have any other like uh business or announcements or Thing. have you been watching anything fun uh when you're not watching the office any recommendations suggestions office related trivia
1: Ooh, well nothing really too exciting only a bit of hearing people talk about the other office podcasts and people are like oh wow you've got a lot of competition in the in the field of office podcasts. And I was like, yeah, well, the people who are actually on The Office do make podcasts about The Office. Mm. So we are a very niche area. <laughs> <laughs> like For most people, you wanna to go to the people who are actually there, who are actors, who know about it. But if you want people who just watched it and are going to interpret it to death, that's what we're here for.
0: Yeah. Don't you want count chocula and, and analysis? That's that's what you want.
1: <laughs> so we're really filling a need that yeah. everyone else thought was already filled.
0: <laughs> that reminds me that uh last night I was um looking on cameo. Have you ever, do you know what cameo is? Okay. Yeah. Um, I did not know what it was. Somebody mentioned it and I was like, what is cameo? And I'm, so I'm like, oh, all right, you can pay celebrities to make small videos. All right. So who's on here? So I was like, oh, vanilla ice is on here. I could have him make a cameo or whatever. Um, but a number of the, there's like a whole section of the office cast that's on cameo. And I was like, some of these people, I was like, who are they? You know, they were there for a couple episodes or whatever but I was like oh I wouldn't mind a cameo from Oscar you know who's fast becoming a favorite of mine um I've long said Dwight is my favorite character it didn't look like he was on there but Kevin and Stanley um anyway we might have to invest do a go fund they, me or something how much
1: do they charge for these things
0: it's like 200 or 300 bucks um which seemed high to me on the other hand you know
1: They are, they are very famous and they're four minutes or worth hundreds of dollars, I suppose, but (laughs) it's weird. It's such a weird thing. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to endorse an investment in this.
0: Sadly, Steve Carell was not on there. If he was on there, then obviously we would be, we'd be doing this, but um, (laughs) all right. Should we jump to it? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, this episode is the Alliance And in it, an uneasy Dwight wants to protect his job from downsizing by forming an alliance. Michael attempts to raise morale. Initial thoughts, Megan?
1: Initial thoughts. So this is called The Alliance. I have not seen, did you watch Survivor?
0: I mean, I think I maybe saw like a season of it when it first came out. Like I remember Richard Hatch, was that his name? Um, the guy who was naked, like, he was naked all the time. I don't know. It sounds right.
1: It was, it was on, I remember from the commercials. So I feel like the slice that I have is that just the way that it showed up basically in the advertisements and just kind of within the culture, like the language yeah. of Survivor that starts to escape into the world where you don't even have to have seen it. Like yeah. when Jim says, I think it's from Survivor, but I don't know. Um, And I was thinking about the way that, on the one hand, it's about the alliance between Dwight and Jim, but it's also sort of an episode that's all about alliances and Mm. all about ways that various kinds of alliances um, form and fall apart, about the sort of relationship energy in the office. So there's the water the thing about the water cooler discussions and how people connect around the water cooler there is the party planning committee there's the kind of flirtatious duo of pam and jim there's michael and all of his morale boosters where he's trying to create the enthusiastic community of the office so it was interesting to me how alliances were kind of operating in multiple ways
0: yeah, I, if I, okay, so in Survivor, you, if I recall correctly, I guess you try to form alliances, and then at the end of the episode or whatever, everybody votes someone off, and you're trying to like avoid yeah. getting voted off, I think, right? Yes. And so I thought that that was an interesting way of of connecting to the whole plot around downsizing, which mm-hmm. is still with us, Um. so who's going to be downsized, and I guess the idea is that an alliance will somehow protect or prevent them, you know, Dwight and Jim from being um, uh, cut. But um, I do feel like I remember a lot of people when Survivor came out being like, "Oh, this is the representation of American individualism and and kind of capitalism, neoliberalism, you know, all the bad um, ways in which we are pitted against one another." Um, these these reality game shows are kind of like praising and also you know I guess um uh de- you know demonstrating them or something and so anyway I wondered if the writers had that on their mind with this episode where we're like we're gonna make fun of the kind of ruthless cutthroat yeah. um alliance making that is actually I'm sure very pr- prominent in <laughs> the corporate world
1: yeah it actually fits so well then with Dwight last time in healthcare and his Entire approach yes. to healthcare in the office, and you know, being a lion and surviving and eating other people, and this just feels like kind of uh, an appropriate outgrowth from that.
0: I didn't realize that Dwight is, in many ways, the like butt of the show's jokes. Like,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know,
0: Michael is cringy, but like Dwight is the is the person being satired almost in a way.
1: There's a sign, gosh, I wish I had written this down because I won't remember it correctly, but I noticed there's a little sign, not like a a poster, but a piece of paper with a message on it that's behind Dwight's desk and you can sometimes see it over his shoulder. And it says something like, give me a minute to think, the difference between genius and idiocy is that genius has its limits.
0: <laughs>
1: uh. Maybe maybe Dwight is the idiot of that little, what do you call those things again? Those sayings. Uh, or, uh, what, uh, the word isn't coming to mind, but whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Now, oh, now it's going to bother me that I can't think of people listening to this. are like, come on. It's, it's <laughs> not a mantra. It's not a. Oh, I don't know. We'll think of it. Catch, it's not a catchphrase. Although catchphrases do come up in this episode, that that really hit me. Speaking back to your question about the difference between watching it all um all at once versus as it unfolds. Michael yeah. says um that he that if he had a catchphrase, it would be you're hired, as opposed to Donald Trump's, you're yeah. fired. And I was like, but you do have a catchphrase. And it's that's what she said. Like, but he doesn't know that yet, I suppose, or the show doesn't know it. And I just thought that that was a a funny meta moment. But, oh, my God, the, the appearance of Donald Trump as, you know, I had just totally, you know, I, I forget that before he was, you know, a fascist <laughs> um, authoritarian president. Oh, um,
1: you think that was a successful presidency.
0: <laughs> you know, I have some, I have some qualms about it, you know, on the whole, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I always forget that like before he was like, you know, the nativist birther or whatever, at least in the big American kind of popular consciousness when I was young, it was Donald Trump from whatever the show, Oh, The Apprentice, right? Another game show where you form alliances to avoid getting fired. And, you know, it, so anyway, I just was really blown away by, like, Michael comparing himself to Trump, but also yeah. di- distancing himself from Trump.
1: Yes. I loved that, too, as an early critique of Donald Trump's leadership style. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he says, um, when he, he does the the thing, he says, um, what's, what's the line about... Um, Donald Trump. He says, the main difference between me and Donald Trump is that I get no pleasure out of saying the words, you're fired. He just makes people sad. And <laughs> function that way. And it applies to a country as well. But I just thought in terms of thinking about what is the thing that you um, enjoy and care about? And I guess this connects to our discussion of the mission statement for Dunder Mifflin last time. And if your kind of mission and the thing that you take pleasure in is saying you're fired. Yeah. Michael, Michael sees the problems in that. And I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. On the one hand, I was like, I think, I can't remember if we said this before, like whether Michael Scott is kind of a, a George Bush type kind of um, maybe, because yeah, I feel like the image of George Bush, even, you know, at the midst of his, his warmongering was like, well, here's a well-intentioned, idiot basically <laughs> like a bumbling guy who you know says the wrong thing or whatever
1: mm-hmm.
0: um or whether michael scott is you know I, I don't know i've just been thinking a lot about like what kind of leadership does he represent you know yeah. in, in our american imagination in the aftermath of trump however i keep thinking is are are there two different kinds of narcissists mm-hmm. like because trump's narcissism definitely manifests as like um it feels good to fire people because I'm better, and you're not. You're lesser. So making people sad is the point.
1: Mm-hmm. Whereas
0: Michael Scott, his narcissist, like it's all about him, but he wants to be liked, genuinely. Yeah. And I keep ask, I'm keep wondering whether that version of narcissism, like, are they this? Are they both narcissism, or is the second one like somehow aware of reality in a different way because oh. it actually listens to what people, people's reaction. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway
1: there is something that's really interesting where there's still the centrality of the self within that. And yet the the kind of back and forth and the relationship and interaction that goes on um, with people surrounding is really different in that. And the entire thrust of the episode basically is him trying in bumbling ways to raise morale. So again, like he's not hes not successful at it. No, he is trying to make people happier and make people feel better.
0: But as long as they buy him the ice cream cake he wants that yes. Meredith can't eat.
1: <laughs> exactly, because it's like he really, I think he genuinely wants them to be happy, but at the same time, he can't, yeah, he can't give up the ice cream cake for the sake of that. It's like, he can't, are those two separate tracks, sort of? It's like, right. we can't make them line up or something.
0: Or is, is the thinking, if I am happy, everybody would be happy because yeah. what I think is right or what I think is good or something, something yeah. that I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's almost like he can't process that someone would not like or be able to eat ice cream cake which is why later once Meredith isn't eating it and he's seems confused about why and she says you know I I can't it makes me sick or whatever and he says wow if I couldn't eat dairy I would kill myself. Yes. (laughs) So yeah I
0: don't
1: think he can even kind of process why you would not want an ice cream cake and He's not entirely wrong.
0: isn't Oh, oh. great. Okay, um, let's let's unpack this.
1: Let's talk about you ice cream.
0: you like cake. ice
1: cream cake? You don't like ice cream cake? A mint chocolate, he's right on about That's the
0: disgusting. It, what you are describing to me is disgusting. What? A mint chocolate chip ice cream cake? No. Yes, the chocolate no. cake. No. I started
1: looking them up. I actually almost ordered one after <laughs> because I was curious. Um, sometimes the issue of the office budget comes up and like the party mm. planning committee's budget and stuff like that. So I was thinking, what kind of investment is <laughs> from Baskin Robbins? So I looked it up. This was several years ago. So I assume that there's been some shift, but at Baskin Robbins, the one third size sheet cake is $29.99 and a half sheet is 39.99 so you know it's not as it's not as good a deal as the grocery store cake which right. I love you and I love a good plain
0: you sheet know cake. I love a, have it changed a classic grocery store sheet cake is to me the best dessert I can think of and
1: the best kind of cake
0: everyone says to me, you know, like, that is ridiculous, because it is objectively terrible, and I, th- I feel like somebody said, I don't know, maybe maybe this is from a movie, or maybe somebody said it to me, I don't remember which, but like, that saying that you like, you know, that kind of cake would be like saying, you know, you like cereal or something, you know, it's like, it doesn't specify anything, but I'm like, no, like, there is a specific yes. vanilla icing and yellow cake which is why the idea of the chocolate cake with the mint chocolate chip first, I don't I don't want to play with that. Like, no, 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 no. But secondly, why are we messing together two great things to create something terrible? Because <laughs> what I hate is when people are like, oh, here's some cake. Oh, you have to have ice cream. And I'm like, I don't want ice cream with my cake. The cake is perfect. And then they're like, no, 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 you have to have it. It's great They to go together. And it's like, fine. And they put it on your wobbly little paper plate and then the ice cream starts to melt and it gets into the crumbs of your cake it it, it, it just ruins the whole thing for me so I was on uh Meredith's side here but bring (laughs) present to me your argument in favor of of an ice cream cake because because Jen is like that's for her where it's at is ice cream cake like it's it's the height
1: all right There are about three semi-related things that I wanna lay out here in response. A, your perspective on having ice cream with cake on the side reminds me of Dan's grandpa's critique of Jack and Coke. He was a big drinker of Jack Daniels, but he always said, you know, it's very common, people drink Jack and Coke. And he always said, ruins the Jack, ruins the Coke. So I feel like for you, that really applies here. Ruins the ice cream, ruins the cake. Two perfectly good things when they're separate. B, I agree that I don't love to have ice cream on the side of cake, but when it's together, and I have to admit I have not had one of these cakes in many years, but it feels like it makes the cake part cold enough that somehow they're able to exist together in a way where it doesn't get all soggy and spongy in the same way that it does if you put it on the side. C, You said that the grocery store cake has to have yellow cake. You can also have a very good one that's got chocolate cake still with that white buttercream frosting. But either way, you're right. People say the same thing to me all the time, that that is some kind of trash cake. It is fundamentally different than the fancier cakes from bakeries. It is radically more affordable. And I would also argue that it is radically more delicious As they get fancier, they taste worse, but we are somehow convinced that they are better because they are fancy and because they are beautiful. Don't even get me started on fondant, that dried out that you crust around
0: a cake to make it look good. Why, why even do that? Why do that to yourself? (laughs) So I'm on Michael's side. (laughs) In conclusion, I mean, what you've made, I have to say, you've made a very compelling case for the blending of the ice cream Mm -hmm. and the cake. The coldness appeals to me Mm -hmm. uh, because I love a cold dessert. I like to put a brownie in the fridge, for example. You know, I I like, uh, I just think I like the texture of a slightly colder, you know, I like cold pizza. Um, So, I'm thinking we may have to do a bonus episode where we eat some ice cream cake and like discuss it. But I do agree with you too about restaurants. It's like, I don't know. This is something that drives me nuts about restaurants too. Is like, can't you just offer like some birthday cake occasionally? It's always like triple chocolate heart blasting, you know, whatever cake or, or some other fancy mousse or something. And I'm like, just throw, some cookies on a plate like I'm trash, because I like cookies, you know what I mean? Like, I'll pay they're, for it.
1: They're the best kinds of dessert.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, quick follow-up question, and then back to the episode, especially the party Planning Committee, but how do you feel about birthday cake, birthday cake ice cream?
1: Oh, I have not had it.
0: What? Okay.
1: Yeah, like birthday cake flavored ice cream. Yeah. No, but I'll put that on my to do list.
0: Yeah, you put that. Okay, cool. Is this our very first uh, scene of the party planning committee? Yes. That's believe, cool.
1: Yeah, this is our first party. So sh- let's talk about that. Let's get into the party planning committee. Um, they are not, they do not succeed in stopping Michael from the ice cream cake. And they ultimately actually, so they do, they're the ones who ordered, I think. So they do follow Michael's instructions. And get the ice cream cake but Tyler what did you think about this interaction we have Pam and Phyllis and Angela sitting around the conference room table as the party planning committee making plan the plan for Meredith's birthday party even though her party her birthday is not until the following month
0: well i would say um shout out to Phyllis um for <laughs> speaking her truth uh in the face of what is clearly great shame and anxiety <laughs> yeah Phyllis uh, is
1: struggling in this meeting
0: <laughs> and I mean it's not exactly clear why although the episode tells us that Angela is going to be super judgy and critical right? it's Terrifying. <laughs> she calls green streamers whorish right uh,
1: <laughs> well Phyllis is wearing a green sweater oh I didn't realize that <laughs> Yes. That's a great
0: joke. I'm colorblind, so I'm you're gonna have to clue me into okay. all color-based no, humor. Yeah. So uh, okay, yeah. I just thought that that we need. I should know the names at a certain point of these actors, but I just thought the actor playing Phyllis was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I thought like, and in fact, I do. I'm you know having watched a lot of rewatched a lot of the show recently. I almost think that she is the best actor on the show. Like she is the most consistent and truly believable. Like, I don't, I have a really hard time believing that that woman is anything other than exactly how Phyllis acts. And just that, like, kind of inward, um, you know, anxious, self-critical way that she operates in this episode was, like, devastating to me.
1: It was. I guess this is a good initial moment for the narrative, the kind of relationship narrative that she'll have with Angela over the course of it as she you know copes with Angela's uh I guess here's another she's another leadership style isn't she I think she's the head of the planning party planning committee or she at least has declared herself that which may be an interesting connection between her and Dwight in terms of oh. the way that they want to run a committee <laughs>
0: um, it's interesting and I didn't think about how the party planning committee is of course all women so it's totally this yeah. like service work that is uncompensated, so women are stuck doing it, right?
1: Yeah, it feels like a totally gendered kind of division of labor that, of course, all women are on the party planning committee. But yeah, Phyllis, so the early, cause she says she's starting, she's like trying to propose her streamer idea, but then she says, oh, it's stupid, forget it. Well, I was gonna say maybe we should have streamers, but it's dumb, everybody has streamers. <laughs> Phyllis, streamers are a perfectly good idea.
0: <laughs> I guess that's part of what was so funny to me about it is like, and maybe this is this is something I'm coming to admire about the, or at least these episodes of The Office is like, mm-hmm. we know as viewers that the choice between streamers and something else is completely arbitrary. And also it doesn't, it, w- it would never make any difference to anything. And yet there is a meeting to discuss it and everybody's taking it so seriously. Um, mm-hmm. So there's just something, yeah, I don't know, really delightful about, like, the pointlessness of all of it. Also, it's not its not even Meredith's birthday, right? Of course, that's the other thing.
1: That's so interesting, which, and this, I think, feels actually like a very common feeling in the workplace that I will say is not limited to the office, is the really high stakes feelings about something that is incredibly low stakes. And so not only is it a debate of do we have streamers or not, Angela, like, you know, Phyllis is self-conscious about it. Pam and Angela are both fine with going along with streamers but the debate is the color because as Phyllis lists them off, Pam suggests, how about green? And then that's what Angela says, I think green is kind of whorish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, when you're talking about like, a kind of taking things seriously that don't matter, you're not thinking of academia in any way, are you? <laughs> no. Yeah, me, me neither.
1: it's a, a general comment.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one little note I had was about, this is uh, once they do the surprise for Meredith, um, and, uh, I, I thought the woman playing Meredith was brilliant and, um, her reaction when Michael's like, oh, because she, you have had two his, or you had a hysterectomy. No, cause you have, you've been divorced twice. And she's like, yeah, you're, you're right. Yes, you're right. You know, and you can just see her soul, like leaving her body as uh-huh. she says, you're right. Um, you could see it when she turns down the cake and he says, you know, I'd kill myself. And I felt like you could see it in Pam in that meeting too. Like, just this particular look of just like, I'm so dead inside. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, um, wait, what did that just make me uh, think of? There was something I wanted to say about that. Oh, yeah. The mention, the hysterectomy. This is the, yeah, so that, like, the joke with the cake is about the divorces, but that's a thing that Dwight suggests. I also, the other thing, I guess. Oh, for the
0: card. Yeah,
1: about about the card. Things that are small, but that feel really high stakes. Yes. I say that I I completely relate to Michael and how difficult it is to sign a card. Yes. So Michael, there are several scenes of it. Michael spends, like spliced, you know, between other scenes. He spends all this time in his office trying to figure out what to write on Meredith's card that says happy bird day on the phone. <laughs> so he this is this is Michael talking about it in his office um let's see he's looking at the card Jim Jim wrote Meredith I heard you're turning 46 but come on you're an accountant just fudge the numbers not bad pretty funny I don't appreciate condoning corporate fraud though uh here's the thing First of all, I love that he jumps in to not, to kind of clarify that, to not (laughs) condone corporate fraud. But anyway, he says, here's the thing. Whatever I write, it has to be really, really funny because people out there are expecting it. I've already set the bar really high and they're all worried about their jobs. You know, it's kind of dark out there. Can you imagine if I wrote something like, uh, oh, Meredith, happy birthday. You're great. Love, Michael. And that (laughs) that pretends to vomit and laughs. Um, and I have, well, I, I wouldn't say that I'm trying to take anyone out of their dark places with their fear of unemployment when I write one of those cards, but it does feel intense and stressful. Do you have this experience?
0: Oh yeah. hundred percent. So my department, I think, uh, I'm trying to think when it's happened, we don't do it for birthdays, but we definitely have done it for, um, You know, I think like babies, um, obviously, I mean, you know, people passing, Mm -hmm. um, retirement, you know, and so you've got at least like, I don't know, 20, 30 people signing a card, maybe more, I don't know, but, and you usually get it when you're like halfway, where at least 15 people have already said you know, whatever it is that you wanted to say. And it is, so you're just faced with this like demoralizing choice. Like, will you try to say something different, but what will that be? Um, Or will you just repeat what someone else has written and hope that the person reading the card, A, won't notice, B, won't care, or C, and this is what I bank on, will assume that you wrote it first, whereas the other people were derivative of you. And uh, so that's clearly where I stand. Cause I'm like, I don't want to, I don't, anyway, it's really, it feels very high stakes. It is the worst.
1: It is the worst. And so yeah, t- no,
0: I agree with you. Michael was kind of relatable in that, in that way.
1: Michael was very, very relatable there. And I thought when Dwight comes in and he consults Dwight, I, I just thought it was so Really, kind of funny that we're four episodes in and already we've heard twice about Meredith's hysterectomy. (laughs) So, Michael is asking Dwight um, for information so that he can come up with something good for this card better than You're Great, Love Michael. So, Dwight says, Name Meredith Palmer, Uh, personal information, divorced twice, two kids, uh, employer Dunder Mifflin Incorporated, awards, multiple Dundies. Michael, (laughs) I know all that. I know all that. I just need something kind of embarrassing, you know, kind of fun inside. She had a hysterectomy. And then Michael asked what is that one again? That's the one where they removed the uterus. (laughs) Dwight, no, I'm trying to write something funny. What am I going to do with a removed uterus?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So instead he goes directly to the thing that he shouldn't joke about, right? Like, I know people like that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name names, uh, but but you know, I know somebody who's very like, you know, um, bad with boundaries and, uh, and, and has to, like if they know that there's something we're not supposed to say or not supposed to joke about, or mm-hmm. you know, whatever, that's the first, they will, that's the first thing they will go right to. And it's almost as if they are compelled, but they have no capacity for, self-control, says the guy who binged, you know, a bunch of episodes, but whatever. There are Um, different categories of self-control. But there's, there's a different thing, right? Like to be, to saying the thing that is like devastating and is, you were supposed to be distracting everybody. And instead, you know, like you went right to the thing that you needed to be distracted from. Yeah. um, (laughs) But it is interesting too, that Dwight, well, first Dwight perceives himself as some sort of like private detective or, Spy, you know, um, he, he, you know, he gives like a report, but the report is personal. I mean, I guess it's personal information, but but it's a very,
1: it's a very technical kind of report, even in the form and the way he delivers it. You know, name Meredith Palmer, awards multiple done, employer this major surgeries hysterectomy, like it's (laughs) this this format like it's a form that he's sort of filling out in his mind and almost presenting to Michael.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that that scene made me think about was how one thing that I did not anticipate, like when I got a job where I stayed for a while, you know, like information circulates about you in ways that you don't control. And like, you know, you're not necessarily friends with everybody at the office, but on the other hand, uh, people know things about you that you probably wouldn't tell them unless they were your friend. And and there's just something creepy to me about the way like information and knowledge about people circulates, even though obviously I participate in that chain of like, I, get, I mean, I, it's not just like gossip or rumor. It's also just like, oh, you know, did you hear this happen to someone? You know, oh, they were in a car accident, for example, right? Like, I guess on some level that's gossip, but it's also like, you know, oh, that's why they're out of work right now and they're going to be coming yeah. back or something. But there's just something I always, it's always made me really uncomfortable, that kind of like tension between public and private, That the office spaces is kind of blur.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting then too how it's all... Um... I guess to what you're saying, that question of how you know people, yeah sometimes it's this knowing them based on the things that they would sort of check off on the form. And when it gets to personal surgeries, it's like, I don't know if that's information that kind of has come from HR or probably like you said, you know, because you had to have time off or something. Right. But it feels in this, like, we actually know nothing about Meredith except for her HR file.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, it'll be really interesting which of these characters we like actually learn more about and mm-hmm. which like there was a reference Dwight yeah. had to his father, and I was like, Do we ever meet Dwight's father? Like, because he says he goes hunting with him. And I was like, huh, like, is that gonna pay off? Mm-hmm. Um, um, or Oscar's nephew, you know, it's like, oh, you yeah. know, slowly learning about them, but not not mm-hmm. a ton. Um I did want to ask about the pranking plot. Um, and it's something that hit me this episode and I was thinking, oh, I'm so smart. I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting the episode in this way. And then I was by the end, I was like, oh crap, the episode knew this way before I did. But basically I was like, are the pranks a form of like courtship or like some sort of flirtatious thing? And then that got me thinking about like what a prank is or like, why, why pranking, is would, would in any way connect to flirting or something like that? I don't know, I'm just curious what you thought about.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: Cause Roy gets right away that like the pranking is a way of getting close or at least yeah. sharing sharing secrets.
1: Yes. Hmm. That's really interesting to think about who actually are the people involved in a prank and does a prank have to have a viewer? Does it have to be something? I mean, maybe not, maybe not, but it feels like there's something about it. There are the pranks that Jim does that are just to Dwight, like that that Jim does without any um, co-conspirators or whatever that he does just to Dwight, like the the stapler in Jell-O. We had Michael's mug that's in Jell-O, those kinds of things. It feels like there's a big pleasure though in the, like the doing it and the being seen and kind of making eyes at someone. So sometimes he just has the camera to do that with, but it feels like with Pam, it's something that's so, it's like an inside joke kind of, you know, it creates this kind of intimacy, I think, to do it with someone where then it can become ultimately not as much about Dwight as it is about Pam or not as much about the person who's being pranked on as it is about, people who are involved yeah yeah what do you think is going on with those dynamics
0: well just in a weird way it makes Dwight central to their romance in a way that I had not realized I was like oh is Dwight the is Dwight what makes them viable to one another as as a couple or as as potential you know uh, I don't know love interests or whatever because he um he becomes the sort or not the sort but the the like they get to direct their kind of energies towards him, but past him at each other, you know? But yes. um, but I did think it was interesting. Well, for just one thing I'll say is like, I don't get prank shows and prank TikToks and YouTubers. It seems as if prank culture is in full effect now. And on the one hand, I'm sure that that's been with us a long time. Like pranks, the way they play out are usually kind of like pratfalls and physical comedy. So, you know, it's in one tradition of comedy and on the other hand, you know, you had America's funniest home videos and that kind of stuff yeah. often yeah. had a prank dimension. But it mm-hmm. does feel to me like now, you know, now we've got these I don't know if you've seen any of these, but my students are like super into like prank shows uh, and I can't even remember what they're called, but I don't get it. Um, But it feels like in those that it very much confirms what you're saying, which is that like pranking craves uh, an exterior audience to watch and laugh. But I think that's why it always feels mean to me. um, Because it's sort of, um, I don't know. Yeah, you're you're making fun of somebody or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you're right. And it is really kind of I don't know. I guess is it sad? <laughs> to me it felt a little bit sad in the way it treated, treated Dwight, but maybe it's not. And I guess Jim's framing of it is um when he he says the the line something like um when so Dwight proposes the alliance and Jim kind of pauses and says absolutely I do. <laughs> and then Dwight Closes his eyes in this meaningful feeling way. And he says, good, good, excellent. Okay. (laughs) um, When Jim explains this, he says that, you know, Dwight drives him crazy. He's constantly driving him crazy. And this is a way to get back at him. And so it's like a way of punishing him. And so I guess Dwight is supposed to have, um, you know, I mean, he's so uh, I don't know. Is this the kind of, is he the kind of person who you'd apply the word extra to Speaking no. of people saying now, I'm like, how do I use the word extra? Is Dwight being so extra? I don't know, but he's being a lot, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so is this fair or is this sad pranking?
0: Yeah, this is a, I mean, I, I find Dwight to be like the funniest thing in the show, I think, as I've now watched more of it, but on the other hand, you know, the last episode really hammered home to me the way in which his character is totally defined by a kind of libertarian um masculinity and corporate uh he's he's very uh interested in power you know and so i'll become more uncomfortable i think as the show like sympathizes or wants us to root for dwight but at Mm -hmm. the same time um And so I get like, and I think in the moment, right, like that this came out or in the first season, Dwight represents taking the job seriously. And Jim represents like, fuck all that. Like it's, it's, uh, it's just a job and you're, you're an idiot for taking it too seriously, which I'm sympathetic to, you know, um, even if, uh, you know, I have ambivalence about Jim or something, I don't know. It's just a really fine line for me of like what is being made fun of here? Is, it being, is he being made fun of because he's so socially inept mm-hmm. or is he being made fun of because he is, yeah, like a cutthroat libertarian who wants to screw over the office? I mean, and maybe those go hand in hand.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It is a way like under, because Dwight is always on this intense pursuit for power. And it, even though his power is ridiculous and he is only the assistant to the regional manager and he has no meaningful position. He still is always after it. And so this is sort of a way of undermining his power, even if he doesn't know that it's happening.
0: It was really funny to see him in the box though. And
1: and then of course,
0: I love the last shot with him and his blonde hair. Um, I know. (laughs) It was very (laughs) funny.
1: That him in the box. And so explain, how is it he gets down in the box? Uh,
0: Well, Jim, what is it that Jim... Says they need to like spy or whatever, right? On like the other co workers. And so, uh, isn't there like some meeting he's going to overhear and it's like a stakeout? I'm suddenly forgetting details.
1: When he tells him to dye his hair, and I'm forgetting actually the detail of how he goes into the box. I think it's Dwight's idea to go be in the box.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: Warehouse or something.
0: Because he says, like, oh, but you're not going to be able to breathe or something, right? You know, and. Um, but he doesn't care. He, he's like all poke holes or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he compares it to his hunting experience. And he says that he is better at hiding than deer are at vision.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> this too. So I think it's the first, is this the first time we see the warehouse? Oh, is it?
0: That's interesting.
1: I think it might be. We've had Dwight, or I mean, we've had Roy come up from the warehouse before. Right. I think this might be the first time we go down there. And Dwight is there. In the box, yeah. Jim has poked holes in it because he was concerned about um about uh Dwight's ability to breathe. And then he tapes him in, so he's taped in the box, and then we have the scene where Pam goes down and pretends to be on a phone call. Yes, about you know, firings in the office or whatever. And Jim is really um impressed and really kind of delights in the way that Pam gets in on this prank and just jumps right into it and comes up with things on her own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So here's oh, my, question. Yeah.
1: we've talked about improv in the office and how Michael loves improv. Is Pam the best one at improv?
0: Hmm. Because of how well she like concocts that, that scene in front of the box.
1: Well, in front of the box and earlier like, when she finds out about the alliance you know, she comes over by jim's desk yes i'm overhearing these calls i think it's after that the jim has in the little interview he says i didn't tell her to do that like she just came up with that yeah own. so like she's she seems to be really good at the yes anding
0: yes you're right <laughs> i do it is hard not to view michael especially as like this meta commentary like we said on a certain kind of like comedy guy mm-hmm. that probably they've all, you know, I, I, my impression is that a lot of these people came out of improv. And so they met <laughs> people who like only do bad impressions like he does of Star Trek or um who feel the need to then reference what it is that they've done. Yeah. Pam, you're totally right, is very convincing. And part of what I feel like defines her character, because we've had multiple scenes now of her sitting with Michael while he says crazy shit. And she is able to play it in a way where it's he's not quite aware how stupid she thinks that he is, but we are. And she's able to kind of like go along with it. And like, she's very deft in like avoiding certain pitfalls. So she seems really good on her feet. And I wonder if people don't uh, acknowledge if, you know, part of why she's able to kind of be good is that people don't acknowledge her because she's a receptionist. I don't know. Like, I'm not quite sure I understand her relationship to everybody else in the office yet. Um, is yeah. she more aligned with the warehouse or is she more aligned with Michael? I mean, she spends more time in his office, but she's yeah. dating the guy from the warehouse.
1: So that does, yeah, it does seem like she's put into this sort of in-between position in some ways. And it's, it's making me wonder if there's also something here about women in comedy and whether women can be funny because women aren't sort of supposed to be like the prankster and aren't read or aren't interpreted as being funny in the same way. And maybe that's part of what, um, like Jim sees Pam as so funny. He really sees that dimension of her I think that other people
0: that's interesting
1: see and part of it's that she exposes it to him right part of it she's not she's not playing around or joking with Michael in the way that she is with Jim so there's something interesting I guess both in the way that he brings that out of her and sees that in her and it's something that Roy does not seem to tap into
0: no, do we know enough about Roy yet? I don't really feel like I can't remember. I know um, he's in the first,
1: except his reaction here.
0: Yeah, which is interesting. I guess he is threatened, um, what yeah. by what? You know, they're just standing close together and talking. Like it's not they're in an office at a yeah. desk. Like they're not going to make out,
1: right? So um, it's like they're, yeah. So yeah, he walks in. He's coming in from the warehouse. He sees them, they're talking, um, really enthusiastically and, you know, she kind of puts her hand up and Jim kind of grabs her hand or she grabs his or whatever it is where they've got that kind of hand holding thing. But there is something maybe very intimate in the level of enjoyment they have in each other. Yeah. Um, and in that level, so even if that is even if that is friendship, um, it feels like Roy is someone who is very threatened by that kind of relationship with him. But at the same time, he's not providing, it doesn't seem like the same kind of joyful interactions that she is able to have with Jim.
0: No, the show in every way is pushing us to want them to be together. And so (laughs) his reaction really, really pushes us in that direction. Like there's no way you can be rooting for Roy in this uh, scenario. So I'm kind of excited to see how that unfolds. But I'm really interested in this idea that we'll have to keep thinking more about of like what you said about how um, the prank forms uh, like an inside joke and how that is a kind of intimacy. Because I do think in many ways like relationships and not just romantic ones, but like very often romantic ones are organized around like inside jokes, you know, references, you yeah. know, uh, a shared set of like shorthand things that are meaningless to anyone else. But their meaning is in kind of pulling you, keeping you together like they are the barn. Um, and so it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out with the pranks. Um, but we should probably think about the Dundies for this week, right? We probably should. I think.
1: Um, So you want to go first?
0: Yes, I am. I'm giving a collective Dundee. Okay, collective
1: Dundee.
0: Collective Dundee goes to the party planning committee for best 80s party. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was amazing when we got to see that picture of Michael at the 80s party. And I was like, oh man, I really wanted to, I would love to see a flashback to how everybody dressed up and what they, what they did at the eighties party. But I thought that that was like a great um, origin story or backstory for the party planning committee.
1: That's great. Um, I'm going to give two, well, I've got, I've got one main Dundee, but I also have a runner up. I'm going to start with the runner up. Let's start with the second place. I want to give that to Dwight today for his final denial of Jim. So when Roy comes in and he's, Furious, Jim gets so nervous and so he goes into this whole thing to try to deny that anything's happening with Pam and explain it's just off his pranks and Dwight made this whole alliance and yada 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 and Dwight just very coolly very calmly denies it he says I have absolutely no idea and I just thought it was a really strong move so I wanted to acknowledge that for Dwight but my real Dundee today is for Daryl, and it is the best silent performance award. And actually, we don't even know his name yet, I don't think. Nope. This is our first time seeing Daryl in the office. Yep. But there's just this shot when White is breaking himself out of the box, and Daryl is just standing a little bit back, quietly watching, just kind of stone-faced he's not moving he doesn't express any surprise he just takes it in and i thought that was a powerful performance and i bet that locked you in a position for a longer run on the show it was so good
0: so good when he when he was in the background i was like yes daryl that was awesome oh i love that well uh next week's episode uh we'll be doing is basketball i believe and um Yeah, I don't know anything about that. I don't have any memory of it or whatever. So is that a good one? Do you remember? Good
1: one. Yeah, I like it a lot.
0: (laughs) All right, cool. Uh, Well, just a quick reminder to everybody to follow us on social media if you get the chance. Um, I'm trying to remember quickly what our handles are. Oh, yes, it's on Instagram, office underscore hours underscore podcast. And then on Twitter, it's office underscore HRS underscore pod. So follow us along there uh, for more announcements and updates. Thanks for listening. All right, bye.